Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Conway Community Podcast brought to you by Tape Community Music and Film. In this episode, we present an interview with David R. Edwards, lead singer with Welsh cult band Dat Bluggy. The interview was recorded on location in Carmarthen in September 2016 for a film produced in association with Innismon and Gwynedd Mind. The interviewer with Claire Bailey, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. David, I read that you began performing because you were lonely and you make a great point that you feel many guitarists and musicians are quite often loners or they wouldn't have time to hone their musicianship. Um, tell me a bit more about that. Well, we're born in the world, into the world alone. A lot of us live alone. And even if we're living with other people, we are alone a lot of the time. And a lot of creativity is, is born of solitude. Not necessarily loneliness, but solitude. Um, if you play the piano, play the guitar, write lyrics, write poems, write short stories, they're all born of um, loneliness, I think, or solitude, to be more exact. David, there's the classic photo um, of you on the album cover of Erbin Him um, from 1993, um, which shows you on stage back in kind of what, I'm, what I've been calling the first inception of that bluggy. Um, and I read that you said due to anxiety and often stage fright, and fear about how people would respond to you, um, that you often use substances to calm yourself and to cope. Yet when I saw you in April this year, in All Tomorrow's Party in Pristatin, you seemed very much on form, and for me it was one of the highlights of All Tomorrow's Party. Um, has it been quite a journey for you, getting from that point to now? Oh, yeah, heck of a journey, because the reason why I was so relaxed in Prostatin was I'm on very good medication now, uh, supplied by Boots the Chemist, and uh, I'm not on any illegal drugs. Um, I was self-medicating. I mean, I still have the occasional drink, but nothing compared to what I used to drink. So it has been a heck of a journey. Um, the self-medication, the nerves before going on stage, um, and the inability to put hundred. Well, I was was putting hundred percent into it. That's what the, that was. A, that's what the problem was, and I, that I had to calm myself down. My, my main problem with alcohol was whiskey. Mm. I was drinking loads of whiskey. Um, other drinks I can cope with. You know, I know when to leave them, but I couldn't leave the whiskey alone. It was flowing like the Pogues say, streams of whiskey. Um, I spend every last penny. If I had a, some money, I'd get a decent bottle of whiskey. If I was down to my last tenner, I'd get a cheap bottle of whiskey. As long as I had a bottle of whiskey and my cigarettes, I was happy. I wasn't thinking about food or anything. 
So that was, it was a horrible way to be. David, you appear to me as someone who has a strong sense of justice and that you will speak out about things and I think that that's a very admirable quality. Um, but is there a cost that you pay to that and is potentially having these negative reactions from people um, part of it? And has that had an impact on you? It's the negative reactions, the most negative reaction we ever had was when people were lobbing bottles at us. Bearing in mind there's a lady in the band mm. and I was more scared about her welfare than my own. Down at Club Evil Bach in Cardiff and I absolutely hate that place, it's full of bad memories and we, we haven't played there since. That was back in the 1980s. That's the most negative reaction we've ever had. As, as far as the BBC is concerned, the BBC in England were very supportive of us, always have been, always will be. Uh, but uh, the BBC in Wales, less so. That's all I'll say. That Fluggy's first inception, as I keep referring to, between 82 and 95, um, that was followed by your sectioning in 1996. How was it for someone like yourself, David, who I feel has an ability um, to think outside the box, to think differently, unconventionally, and um, from new perspectives? And I think often people with disability are able to affect social change and quite often artists are at the forefront um, of social movements and are often integral to social change. How was it for someone like yourself then to find yourself in the auspices of um, a psychiatric institution and mental health services? Well, the implication in the question is that things change. I think technology changes, technology develops, but I think people are basically the same as they were a thousand years ago. Um, except we don't write on cave walls anymore. We point cameras at people, we type, the in type up on the internet, we make recordings. You know, we, I don't think people change. Um, as far as mental hospitals are concerned. Well, have they changed? I don't know. I mean, I was sectioned. It was on some occasions where I needed help. So on other occasions, I didn't need any help. Um, you know, Vincent van Gogh, he was, he was sectioned so many times. I mean, he shot himself in the end, you know. Um, so I don't think things have changed. Uh, one thing I will say positively about the mental health services, they did help me in the long run. I did meet some really kind psychiatrists. All right, so, some of their methods were fairly um, tough to deal with at the time, but uh, I've come out the other end and I'm functioning once again as a human being, like I was when I was a, like I was before I had to go into uh, the education system post-primary school. It was all right up until I, I, be, I became a teenager, but up until that's when I started getting mentally ill. I can, I can pinpoint it. It was entering a secondary school. Um, you know, I had a burst appendix when I was 16, 15 or 16 years of age. That was caused by stress. And what, what, what it was doing to my mind was something altogether horrible. 
and I didn't know what was happening. I think a lot of people have got that in common with me. I don't think I'm particularly crazy, crazier than anybody else. Okay, as you've been very open about your experiences, do you feel, David, that people who have known you for a long time treat you as David, um, the multifaceted singer, artist, poet, because I know some people refer to you as a poet, um, the Carmarthen Man About Town, which we've spoken about, and just as a friend, and the many other aspects that make you who you are, or do you feel some people um, only see a mental health label? Oh, I'm sure that's true. Um, but that's up to them. I mean, the people who think I'm crazy, I probably think they're crazy. It's as simple as that. I mean, I don't judge anybody. If they're judging me, then I'll judge them back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I hate the idea of judgment. People passing opinion on other people. We all pass opinions. That's some human nature. But to actually judge and say well, one person's better than somebody else, or one person, or somebody, um, because they've got an illness. Oh yeah, that's the reason they don't leave me live on Radio Cymru. Um Oh, it's that crazy guy again, you know. I mean, one, th one thing that comes across to me, um, meeting you and through everything I've read, is your immense humility. And I know many, many individuals have cited um, that bluggy and yourself as an influence um, and show what I would call, call a lot of respect and love towards you. And we know Super Fairy Animals have done a cover of one of your songs and Gorky's have cited you as an influence. And of course, we know John Peel championed you. Um, do you accept that you, along with Pat Morgan, through Dap Bluggy, have contributed greatly to not just Welsh music, but music full stop, to culture and the arts and affected change? And do you accept that you are seen by many as an inspirational um, Welsh cultural and iconic figure? And how does that make you feel? No. I'm just a human being. I mean, I'm, I, I'm no doubt we've made our contribution, but I don't think it's any more important than anybody else's. Um, perhaps the fact that we did more John Peel sessions in Welsh than anybody else, that was an, you know, an ambition fulfilled, obviously, because he was the greatest disc jockey that this country's ever produced. And for us to do it in Welsh, I mean, nobody's ever done that before. So I'm pr particularly proud of that, but... Um, No, I'm not an icon, I'm just a human being, you know. You're as much of an icon as I am, I mean, uh, that's just a label. That's, that, that, to call somebody a, a, an icon is, is like, is the reverse of calling somebody crazy. I mean, they're just two sides of the same coin. In the end, I'm a coin. Pat's role in all this has been underestimated as well, mm. mainly because she's a woman and women don't get the, the, the attention they deserve. But she's very talented. I think she, the music that she's done has enabled me to um, say what I want to say in the songs. Uh, other songs I've written by myself, but um, it's up to other people to, to come to their own conclusions, but I can't sit here and say that what we've done is important. It's up for other people to have an opinion about that, not me. What's important to you, David, um, in maintaining your health and well-being? 
little things like my digital radio so I can hear one or two things on there and my mobile phone to keep in touch with my friends. And the other thing that helped, I keep going back to it, is tablets, medication, cutting down on the booze. Um, the fact that I can smoke in my own environment, you know, um, even though I don't own the place, it's, it's home. Once that door is shut, the only people allowed in here are people I, that, I, that I want to see, like yourselves. I get up in the morning, and almost every morning, for the last six months, I've put on a song by the Pogues called um, Transmetropolitan Yippie. Um, and I, it gets me going in the morning, and I have a cup of coffee, listen to that, and a cigarette, and I'm ready for the day. Um, Transmetropolitan, it's, it's fantastic. Just, it's like a shot in the arm, it really uh, lifts your spirits. And listen to Shane McGowan every day, it really cheers me up. Um, I, I, love, I love the Pogues, always have. The, the Fall are another influence on me, and I love listening to Mark E. Smith singing. Beyond that, um, Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peggy Lee, Tom Waits. But beyond that, I've got no interest in music whatsoever. It's what, what these people are saying that's important in their songs. Like people say to me, oh, Tom Waits can't sing. Well, yeah, but have you heard what he's saying? Or they say, oh, Mark E. Smith, um, Jeff Beck des described him as the worst singer in the world. Well, I'd rather hear Mark Smith on an off day than somebody who bloody sang High Ho Silver Lining, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I'm a big Fall fan, so yeah, those are the people I, that maintain my well-being. It's, it's empathetic voices out there, and people who, some are dead, some are still living. John Lennon was another one who I admired a lot, uh, but he's passed away. But, you know, I, I thank God that uh, Mark E. Smith and Shane McGowan are still around. And if they were sitting in this room now, we'd, we'd, we'd have a few drinks together and a few cigarettes. Some of my stuff in the in the distant past was written in in a period of bad mental health, and I've had it very difficult to listen to those things now. But the latest album, Porter's Trattled, Tribulation Browser, uh, that was a very happy time recording it. Um, even though some of the themes are dark, um, it's a very positive record. Um, so yes, I'm much more positive. I mean, I'm 51 years of age. You know, I could. My dad lived till he was 80. So if I take my time, I mean, chances are I'll make 80 as well. That's what my genes are saying. I mean, he smoked and drank most of his life too. You know. So if 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 people mind the traffic, 
people going about drugs and sex being dangerous and alcohol and fags being dangerous. The biggest, the most dangerous thing is the machinery. You have uh, tractors and lorries and buses and aeroplanes are the worst. Those are the, those are the dangers. You know, travel in numbers, go in a car and travel safety in numbers and drive safely. And when the cops say don't drink and drive, take that message seriously. Right, Ardy Lang <laughs> was a Scottish psychiatrist and a bit of a Marmite character, so it appears that people either loved him or loathed him. And he had a couple of um, ideas, and I'm going to read you a couple of quotes, and I wonder what you think about these. So Ardy Lang said, Insanity is a perfectly rational adjustment to an insane world. Just wonder what you think about that. Yeah, the key word there is adjustment, isn't it, I think, because... Um I think you, you accept the fact that the, it, uh, insanity is a label to begin with, but uh, I don't think the world is particularly insane. I think it's, um, and I don't think people are basically insane. I think people, I think insanity is caused by chemical reactions in the brain that can be um, modified and cured by, by, by tablets. What about environmental factors? Because I know you've spoken a bit about the role grief has played. Yeah, well... Yes. Up to that point, yes, grief does cause insanity. It caused it in my life when I lost my parents and when, my, when various women have left me over the years. I have felt a bit insane and they have driven me to be very creative. You know, so creative. I tried to, well, accident, I took an accidental overdose back in 2010. But I agree with Ardy Lang, definitely. And then Ardy Lang also said that creative people who can't help but explore other mental territories are at greater risk just as someone who climbs a mountain is more at risk than someone who just walks along a village lane. Yeah, um... In reality, I'd rather walk along the village lane, but somehow we've got mentally. I'm always climbing that mountain somehow, you know, and trying to make, you know, if I'm going to make an LP, I want it to be different to the one we've made previously. Otherwise, there's no point in repeating in doing it because there's no point in repeating yourself. No two Dapluggy LPs are the same; they're all different, and uh, so we've always been climbing hillocks and, uh, you know, I think we climbed up Mount Everest with the last one, I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'd, you know, to top that, I don't know, we've got to go for K2 next, I suppose. Um, can I ask you a bit about the artwork, David, because I really love the artwork of a lot of your albums, um, and I wondered if you could tell me a bit, bit about this one in particular. <laughs> I came up with the title and then Pat put the image on. I don't know how she got the image. She's got computer technology, I haven't. But yeah, that's Pat's work. All I came up with was the title, uh, Cave Paintings from the 21st Century. Um, I don't know what she was trying to convey. I mean, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder, isn't it? I, I, I just think it's, it'd be arrogant of me to, put, to speak on behalf of Pat. She's into all that stuff, and me too, you know. I've, 
what I was saying earlier about, um, I didn't mention him, Oliver Reed and Richard Harris, all these characters in the 60s and 70s. Um, I did, I, the modern, I mean, Blur have got an LP, haven't they, called, um, is an LP or a song, Modern Life is Rubbish. Yeah, you know, I mean, up to a point, I think it's rubbish, but up to, uh, looking at it another way, it's quite exciting. We're living in exciting, interesting times, I think. Uh, politically, we are. You know, we've got a woman prime minister again, which is a good thing. What excites you in times? What excites me? Well, Dat Bluggy are doing really well. Um, I think we're, we're fitting in better now than we did 20 years ago. Uh, you know, our backs are to the wall and our shoulders are to the wheel and our noses are to the grindstone 20 years ago. But now, like, people have accepted uh, the fact that I'm a singer, or a vocalist, to be more precise, whereas uh, 20 years ago they'd be saying, go out and get a job, you lazy so-and-so. Um, all I can say is um, I'm accepted for what I do now. And that's a relief. Okay, there's, there's lots of ways of defining work. To me, work, I was always threatened by work. Work is something that you, do, that people pay you to do that you don't want to do. If you enjoy your work, it's not work. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's play. Um, rather than you know, during the Thatcher government, you know, the, you, you know, get a job and all this sort of nonsense and you're lazy and all this sort of rubbish. It's not about money, I mean, I, I, it's about attitude. Um, I'm accept, you know, what's hard to see, what causes some people to have mental illness is the badgering, the constant badgering by society of conforming, conforming to a certain norm. You know, if you get, you get badgers, people get badgered so much, they, get, they end up hating themselves. And so a lot of people commit suicide. You know, is really that what the government want? By making people work all the time? Work till retirement age and put in the pension age and all this? If, if um, Theresa May is the daughter of a Christian minister, then uh, in about time she showed a little bit more Christianity towards the British workforce. I remember writing to David Cameron when I found out he was uh, a, a Smiths fan. Uh, I was impressed by this and I said to him in the letter, well, I hope you remember that they covered a song by Sandy Shaw called Work is a Four-Letter Word. Hmm. Oh, I write a lot of letters. I haven't got a computer. Um, if somebody writes to me, it could be friend mail. When I say fan mail, I don't mean... Uh, when I formed the band, back to your first question about being lonely, I, I was out to make friends. And I'm, I've made a lot of friends, by, a lot of pen friends rather than fans, all right, it may begin as fan mail, oh, I like your new album and all that, but I always write back, you know, even if it's a, a page or two, and then that develops. I mean, I had one the other day from a guy in London, I mean, it was six pages long, and very interesting. I'd rather read that than read the Daily Star, the Daily Mirror, you know? 
because he's talking about his own life and talking about my life. I'm not really interested in these tippin'-sapin'-y celebrities out there. Well, that's great, you know, somebody goes to the trouble of reading it. The least thing can do is reply. Sorry, I didn't phrase that correctly. If somebody writes me a six-page letter, I read it, consider it, put it to one side, then I answer it, and it feels great. Because I've communicated with somebody. That's all, we, that's all we're in the world to do. You know, um, it's frustrating sometimes. I think all art tries to communicate. And I think most artists are desperate people. I think the best art is born of desperation. Otherwise, it's just show business, isn't it? People, society overcomplicates things. Just if you, education, the educational establishment overcomplicates things. Passing exams and, you know, taxing the brain, you know. Look, look at mathematics, for instance, and the basis for engineering. It's very complicated and pointless in society. Arithmetic, I understand. Everybody's got to add up and take away, but beyond that, do we really need, do teenagers really need to know about how to measure a triangle? Simplicity is the key, you know, simplicity in all things. I live very much as a monk. Um, you know, I, I believe in, well, Mother Nature or God or whatever, but um, we're here, we're living, we're breathing, and um, simplicity is the key. Yes, a rivet, a rivet, rivet. Then we are gals calid and venadio near pesky, at quasi, at brandy, deep tea, mountreed, me will ice, the more and made it coisai, tamarir, kelly rubber bant to head with, in jobin, now jobin, dim jobin, in jobin, and now jobin, LC, DT. Yeah, we all had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, my dad was in it. All, a lot of my friends were in it. Pat, of course, was in it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's. A, I wrote the song, played all the instruments on it on the song, sang the song, and uh, Pat did some backing vocals. And uh, yeah. Much dope was smoked when we recorded the video, and um, there was even a question on Mastermind relating to it. Uh, when it got into the Festive 50 and the John Peel show. And how did it come about your dad was in the video? Well, he'd never been on the TV before, you know, like everybody else had, but he hadn't. Uh, so I said, Come on, let's go up to Cardiff and, uh, well, he had a wheel of a time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a good character, my, my dad. Um, you know, the, the older I get, the more I miss him, you know. But he, he used to like me playing the Pogues. Um, that was the only 
band that that is if I played them, he'd say, "Oh, that's that, you know, if I played Fairy Tale of New York, he'd say, oh, that's a bloody good song' or something like that um but now he he was into country and western music, I suppose, mainly we did one country and western song about horse racing. Uh, and he loved that. He said, why didn't you do more songs like that? One thing you've said is that Frank Sinatra, and in particular his album My Way, and I know it's in your house here, mm. is, is one of your favourite yes. um, pieces of music, one of your favourite albums. It, it, you are someone to me who has basically carved your own path mm. and very much done things your way. Yeah. I think a lot of people do. Um, there are more non-conformists out there than you'd imagine, actually. Um, some people are motivated by money and get very successful. I was never motivated by money. Um, so on one level, I've been very unsuccessful. But on another level, I've done it my way. And I, in the end, I've got what I wanted. It was a roof over my head, you know food and wine and tobacco. I don't want anything else, you know. Um, I really don't. I, I'm completely non-materialistic. Um, and as, as I was telling you yesterday, the two best things I ever did was throw my wristwatch in the river and sell my car for my poor Sierra for cash. Thank you very much, David. Oh, thank you, Claire. Dear. Uh, Dim problem a good boy.